Hey everybody, welcome to another Bald Movie. Today we're talking about the 1992 film Sneakers, directed by Phil Alden Robinson and written by Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks. Uh, you might recognize Phil as the director of Field of Dreams and Some of All Fears. And uh, Lawrence and Walter wrote a little film called War Games, which is going to be hmm. highly influential to the state of sneakers. It also just features a loaded cast. Robert Redford, Ben Kingsley, Sidney Poitier, David Strathern, Dan Aykroyd, River Phoenix, Mary McDonnell, Stephen Tobolowski, mm -hmm. James Earl Jones. Yep. Uh I was I remember watching this film and liking it, but also realizing that this is a 30 year old movie about hacking. And I thought it was going I, I was expecting it to be pretty damn cringy. I was pleasantly surprised. How about you, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. This movie was a lot of fun to watch. Um, the you know the tech actually holds up a lot. I think the the, the hacking is depicted because um, most hacking isn't people in dark rooms hammering on keyboards. Uh, at least you know the the kind of hacking that that gets things done. A lot of it is social engineering. A lot of it is taking advantages of physical security. Um, and this movie, I feel like, is really highly influential to many films that came later. Like, mm -hmm. if Sneakers doesn't come out in 1992, do you get uh, Mission Impossible? Do you get The Net? Do you get Hackers? Uh, which all three of those very different films came out three years later in 1995. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. But I was also really shocked at how how good they they got the depiction of hacking. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about some of the hacks that they do and, you know, how realistic are they? And like for people who aren't into that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, is this is this? Well, I guess the first question is, is this something that a general audience would appreciate? And I think it it kind of was. And I don't know mm -hmm. if that was based on the star power or what, but the the budget was thirty five million for this. Domestically, it made fifty one or something. Mm -hmm. uh, worldwide, it made over a hundred. Mm -hmm. So. I think that's a success. Yeah. Um, now that might have been just on the back of Robert Redford being in this movie because, you know, he's one of the all-time great actors sure. uh, that we have in Hollywood. A lot of people will go see a movie just for him. But yeah, as someone who is familiar with that technology um, and specifically like that era of hacking, because um, this is like right around the Mitnick Kevin Mitnick time. Mm -hmm. Um, when he was sort of on the run or just became a fugitive. Yeah, he'll be arrested in 95. Yeah, and so a lot of people were talking about this. For his right? crimes the... he committed during the movie Hackers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and so th this was in the media, right? This uh -huh. was super popular as as far as like the general consciousness, the public consciousness it goes, and it was intriguing to people. But I don't know if they knew how it worked. And so like you'd expect i like you look at hackers from 95 three years later it's a joke it's like, ludicrous yeah i mean no, nobody is using an interface where they're flying around virtual skyscrapers to try and hack something and look at files nobody's doing that it's mm -hmm. all command line shit and like maybe a little bit of gooey stuff but here you've got like a lot of physical hacking and yeah. that was the thing that to me was so interesting like social engineering yeah. uh interrupting or intercepting camera feeds um going in and change fucking with like the 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 ambient temperature in a room uh listening to things and sort of deducing like who might be in that office and how we would get a hold of their credentials and stuff all yeah, that surveillance detail like a lot of it's yeah. just surveillance and detective work information that... gathering right exactly like, and understanding the process that they go through so that you can figure out how to break that process. Yes, yes. And that it's super fascinating to me and it's super realistic. Yep. It's the way things got done. It's still the way, the way things, things get done. Yeah. In yeah. in the hacking I I'm sorry, I shouldn't say the word. I shouldn't say the H word. The sneaking. It's sneaking, right. It's sneaking. And I think it's funny because, you know, it was so in the media. I wonder if they didn't want to call this hacking. Because I don't know that the word did, hacking is ever that's used. That's the thing, like oh, when I was reading Roger Ebert's review uh, which he didn't like this film. He thought it was pretty mediocre. And I can kind of see some of his points. But I also think that this movie was just a bit ahead of its time because I don't think people had the... the. I think this movie was building the dialogue for those people. Cause, so the, so yeah, the background yeah. of this film is these these writers uh, who worked on uh, the movie War Games where, you know, it's, it's hilarious to me that 
they did all this background research into freaking and phone hacking, all that stuff that was essentially what five or ten minutes of the plot of War Games. Uh-huh. Um, but it clearly captured their imagination, and they're like, "Oh no, how how can we get this into a, this is really fundamentally interesting?" Which is true. Mm-hmm. Like this stuff is, and it's true to this day. Like you know, Mister Robot. Uh, to what it claimed it got was largely on the back of uh, Rami Malek's enormous eyes and the realistic <laughs> feeling and, in fact, depictions of hacking. Yeah. Um, and they just had, and they just kept on, kept on trying and kept on trying, and it took him 10, 12 years to get a the right script and the right, I guess Robert Redford signing on was how they got yeah. Phil Alden Robinson because he that was like a Mount Rushmore guy that he wanted to work with, and it all came together, but... When I look at Roger trying to describe, like, what are these guys? Indu- is this industrial espionage? Is how he described them. And it's like, now it's like, well, no, these guys were white hat hackers or they're penetration yeah. testers. Or and part of hacking is sort of a, inherently an espionage, kind yeah. of thriller yeah. film, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're going to do the interesting parts of hacking, right. the, the hooks are there for espionage. Right. So I just feel like that maybe they did went in sneakers because they're like, well, you know, hacker, what does hacker even mean? But sneak, uh, people sneak, but it's so funny to hear like River Phoenix crowing about this is the biggest sneak in the world. It's right. like if he <laughs> right. just had hack, it would have been exactly right. I can see that for the title. Like maybe you don't want to scare people off, right? Yeah. Because like these That's are supposed true. to be the good guys. Right. The, the hackers in this movie, the sneakers are the right. good guys. Right. And so you don't want the title to be hackers because right. then the public goes, oh, I don't want to see a movie about a bunch of bad people doing bad things. Right. Yeah. Sneakers, you can almost be bamboozled into thinking, oh, well, this is a movie that's, you know, an espionage thriller. And yeah. I like those. I'm the Tom yeah. Clancy fan, you know? Yeah, it's like if you had a cop film called Gangster, you know, it's like, ah, you're, you're just <laughs> right. kind of burying, burying the, the real story there. Uh, speaking of story, I thought maybe we could just give a real brief introductory to the plot. If, if you're like us, you haven't seen this movie in a long time, or maybe you haven't, you just want to see if it's worth your while. Um, so Robert Redford leads an all-star team of hackers, which this movie refers to them inexplicably as sneakers, as we just discussed. Uh, the NSA, National Security Administration, engages them to steal a box that's being developed by a brilliant mathematician who's being financed by the Russians, which is weird because they're supposedly our friends in this era, which mm. is a part of the plot. One of the very first post-Glasnost movies. Uh, you get the idea that this is kind of like a quantum computing type technology before they had the name for quantum computing. Mm. Uh, the NSA feels this could be the ultimate hacking technology, laying bare all our secrets and exposing vital systems like air traffic control, Federal Reserve, and the nation's power grid to nefarious foreign powers. There's a lot of twists and turns in this movie, as you might expect about things involving hacking and information exchange and blackmail. Uh, with hackers posing as Russians, posing as NSA goons, stealing technology from the actual NSA goons. But ultimately, Redford's character will be forced to make difficult choices regarding freedom and privacy and uh, of his fellow citizens compared to the personal safety of him and his friends. Uh, and that's what makes the, the tension of the film largely work. And I'm not going to mm-hmm. spoil it for you because I could say another sentence that would. But uh, <laughs> I think, like I said, if you're a fan of Mr. Robot or you're a fan of these types of movies, this is interesting in the exact same way that like Citizen Kane is. If you're in the cinematography, you know, you can see like, oh, that's where Tom Cruise dangled upside down in front of a computer terminal. Oh, this is the scene where Elliot talked his way into the Iron Mountain facility. Mm. Like these movies directly, in many cases, just rip off these scenes. And sometimes, like Mission Impossible, will add like ten million dollars of glitz to it. Yeah. So where Robert Redford is moving two inches per second and just sweaty, you know, Tom Cruise will be wearing thermal spandex with mm. Jean Reno and an air shaft, and you know catching drops of sweat so Mm -hmm. i i think it's 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 pretty good um i want to talk about like i've basically got my notes broken into things i liked versus uh things i didn't like um i got i got one more thing to mention i do too just sort of a bald move note before we get to the spoiler stuff where people tune out yeah i don't know what's happened here but the the (laughs) 
the last movie we did, Universal Soldier, yeah, and this movie take place in two. Each of them take place in two time periods. Oh, you're they're right. The exact same years, 1969 and 1992. Probably the exact same amount of prologue too. You got 10 minutes in 1969 yeah. Vietnam, two minutes of <laughs> or 10 minutes in 1969. What? Where are they at? MIT? They're at some college, which yeah. I found out is actually the clock tower from Back to the Future. No shit. They use yeah when you look at the external shots. Yeah. Kinda Interesting. Cool. We are in a bit of a 90, 1992 hole unintentionally. We had Ground, yeah. Groundhog Day, Universal Soldier, Sneakers. Right. Um, Don't know how that happened. Yeah. I also uh, had one other note just in the kind of production behind the scenes details that I found. Uh, the director of this film, uh, Phil Robinson, received a visit from men uh, claiming to be representatives of the Office of Naval Intelligence. And they indicated for reasons of national security, the film could not in any, by, by any stretch of the imagination include references to a handheld device that can decode codes. And I guess this guy was freaking out uh, because that device was the key to the plot. Uh-huh. And he was actually went and consulted with lawyers from the studio. And then they did some research and they realized that the visit was just a prank that Dan Aykroyd pulled off. Oh, mother. <laughs> Mother, <laughs> mother, yeah, it's, you so, mother. So let's talk about let's let's now since you gave us a brilliant uh, pivot to that. Let's talk about the cast. This okay. movie for this thirty million dollar experimental hacking movie is just got a loaded cast. Yeah, uh, Robert Redford as Martin Bishop, uh, who then I think is called Martin Bryce or vice versa. Mm. Um, he's introduced as kind of like. I guess uh, a Robert Downey Jr. Tony uh, Stark type where he's like uh, he's got a friend by the name of Cosmo who's oh he's the Steve Jobs the Cosmo's Wozniak yeah cause and they call him cause every once in a while yeah I wonder if they're they're, their research is like they're kind of hinting at that because this guy's you know very good looking Mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, but they're both united by their love of technology and their love of uh, 60s counterculture yeah because they're essentially stealing money from the Republican National Committee and they're sending it to the Black Panthers and Mm -hmm. to other organizations uh, and they get busted Um, but I don't I thought it's interesting Um, Robert Redford is the, the movie coasts a lot on Robert Redford's charm. And he is very charming. And that's his character. He yeah. is the charming one. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's why, you know, when he asked the question later, why why do I always get roped into like doing the hard thing, like walking across the floor at two yeah. inches per second? It's because you don't really bring much else to the yeah. table, right? You, like if you don't if you're not the smooth one, then what are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, it also has uh, Bing Kins- uh, Ben Kingsley, which this is mm-hmm. where we start to get to the big spoilers. Yeah, uh, he plays uh, Cosmo. Now I knew as soon as Cosmo gets arrested in the film um, that he was going to eventually come back. Yeah, uh, and I think Ben Kingsley does a really good job of playing this kind of like n- like nerdy, but he's also because he's got the he's you know he's he's rocking the ball guy ponytail. But he also is wearing like Armani suits, so it's like he's like he's the upgraded version of of Wozniak. Like Wozniak, if he spent a couple of years in prison, faked his own death, and has been working for shadowy <laughs> multinationals ever since. Yeah, I I feel like there's a change somewhere where yeah. like, okay, maybe they they were going for a Woz thing with Ben Kingsley's character Cosmo in the 1969 era, mm-hmm. but in 1992 he's come so far from that, yeah. in my opinion. Like yeah. the, the the other thing I liked about the the hacking part and. It's kind of ties in the characters is when Robert Redford at the end says, "This this isn't a journey we started going on. This was a prank. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a spirit of hacking that I think is missing in a lot of movies about hackers. Uh, and and it it very much changed I think over the years. Like maybe they were on the same page about that in the beginning, but yeah. by 1992, after being apart for 25 years or whatever, uh, that that's a, I think that's like a generational thing with hackers too because I saw it like. Yeah. Um, you know, back when uh, the anonymous group hackers, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, the anonymous hacking group anonymous, mm-hmm. like targeted like bigger profile things like Scientology. It split the movement into like, hey, we're just doing this for the lulls versus, hey, but we actually yeah. could do some good here. And I think Cosmo is the idealist. It's like, you know, information wants to be free, man. And Robert Redford's just like, well, we were just fucking around. It's it's yeah. it's, it's hilarious to give Republican money to the Black Panthers. Uh-huh. 
Um, and he does it again at the end of the movie, which is great. Yeah, which you know this this movie is also kind of prescient in that it presents a lot of things as kind of like joke scenarios that have largely come true in our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, Sidney Poitier is plays uh, this Donald Kreese, who's this mysterious. He's like the straight man of the group. Uh, he gives the uh, crew some legitimacy and that he was a former higher up in the CIA. Kick some ass when he needs to. Yeah, he. We don't know why. Like we find out at the end of the film, like why kind of sort of why he got out of the CIA. Do we? I don't remember that because nah, they ask him straight this up. Is, this is one of my weak. One point, this is one then. of my weak. The the weaker parts of the film, but that's yeah. Huh. He's he's kind of like combination serious tough guy muscle. Yeah. Uh, you got David Strathern playing uh, Ir- Irwin Whistler Emery, uh, and, and I want to say I think the thing that uh, Crease brings to the group as far as hacking goes is that he's familiar with the way the government operates. Yeah. Um, and so he's able to like sort of lay out what would the government be thinking at any yeah. given moment if I think we're hacking a, against they them. They also implied he's got some contacts like, you yeah. know, like that that uh, can, you know, give him access or maybe keep him out of trouble from time to time. Mm-hmm. He's got sources. Uh Strathern plays this Whistler character. His his deal is he's a blind guy. He's a blind superhero. And he <laughs> his his task is to like detect just natively like sounds and tones coming from phone systems mm-hmm. and this is still the era of like, you know, analog phone hacking. Like just Yeah, he's a phone freaker. He's Yeah, a, exactly. I mean I I buy a lot of what they do with his character. Yeah. They cross the the line for me into superhero territory when they mention him hearing ultrasonic sounds yeah. because by definition right ultrasonic sounds are unhearable by humans they're yeah ultrasonic sounds are he- sounds that are not here not audible within the normal human range yeah of of auditory sensors yeah, like be- being born blind or being blinded does not give you the ears of the dog you no know? and that's such a trope like yeah. they, they do that all the time they do it here I, it was the one thing i didn't like about him but like being more attuned to like listening to things yeah. i get like yeah. if he were in that trunk that they put him in uh that they put robert redford in he would be able to tell you exactly where they went I, probably I, I agree i agree um i even liked his nickname whistler because that's kind of a, a callback to back when you could literally whistle a certain tone or frequency to yeah. get free long distance calls like captain crunch kind of thing exactly yeah. uh dan Aykroyd plays darren mother roscow he is the lunatic fringe conspiracy theory guy um i don't like dan Aykroyd. you don't no i don't like dan Aykroyd too i think he's good in this film though uh i don't I've got too much of this conspiracy theory bullshit in my real life. I don't need it in my movies. Sorry. You're that that's true. That's true. Um what is his deal though? What does he bring to the group? Is he like it seems like he's kind of like their generalist because like he doesn't do anything but annoy Sidney Poitier throughout most of this film. He might be a hardware guy. Hmm. He might be the guy who yeah holds the probe while whistler yeah. figures out did, what's yeah actually... he's whistler's eyes and hands in a lot uh-huh. of this film so maybe that's what it is but like yeah other than that uh you got river phoenix as carl arbogast and he's just the new guy yeah he's mouse in the matrix he's yep. the new guy in the crew he's very excited he's very eager he's he's play he's playing like hyper focused kind of like you can tell uh he's he's attractive but he doesn't know it and he's probably going to annoy the piss out of a lot of women in his day um <laughs> Mary McDonald as Liz uh, Mm -hmm. is essentially Robert Redford's girlfriend. And unfortunately she's pretty thin. Uh, I I saw that in the original script, they had her as a bank employee that got involved in the uh, original kind of like the opening heist. Mm -hmm. That's the penetration test and was kind of enamored with the group and starts helping them. And, but the problem is organically weaving her into this plot was taking so much time. And this movie already is dense as hell. Like I paused to get a drink uh, and I thought we were like an hour and a half into the film. It was like 50, 49 minutes. I'm like, holy Mm -hmm. shit. And not in like, Oh my God, this movie is dragging. It's just like, they really pack a lot into it. They do. So as a shorthand to get her into the group, they just made her this ex-girl. But it's very mm. nebulous. Like the, her and Robert Redford were dating, but then they broke up somehow, but left in good enough terms. And Robert Redford's so good looking and charming that she lets him get away with shit. And, and then she yeah. some somehow gets him access to this conference, I yeah. think. Yeah, where you can go see Janet. Yeah, she's speak. got a couple of connections. That's how she gets back in the plot. And... 
I it's funny because we were talking about this. Uh, you hate Dan Aykroyd, and mm-hmm. I guess I thought I hated Mary McDonald, <laughs> but I only really hate her in Battlestar. Okay, I was gonna ask you how you felt. about I mean, her I like movie. her when when we were doing a disaster marathon, and she was in Independence Day. He's like, mm-hmm. she's really good president's wife. Yeah. I don't think that she, I I can see the president of the United States loving her as a first lady, and I thought she was really good and charming um and sophisticated in this film i remember liking her a lot in dances with wolves which was about two years before this movie came out huh so they were riding a little bit of a mary mcdonald high on this i was, I was it, gonna ask you uh, um you know you don't okay maybe you like mary mcdonald in this mm-hmm. but really the question is whose hair is more perfectly feathered hers or robert redford's <laughs> They're essentially, they've got the same hairstyle. It's so funny because my mom rocked this hairstyle through the 90s. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of men and women did. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and then Stephen Tobolesky, what a year for him. Groundhog Day, right? Sneaker, you're you're with uh, one of the comedy greats, one of the dramatic legends. Uh, he just has a pure comedy role as a dyed-in-the-wool <laughs> fucking nerd doing computer dating in 1992. Yeah. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah, you're not getting a lot of Mary McDonald's on the computer dating scene. You're not. Which I, I love how Ben Kingsley instantly says a computer matched this guy getting, with this girl. You're getting a lot more Dan Aykroyd. Exactly. <laughs> they should have sent Dan Aykroyd. Well, no, Dan Aykroyd would not date Stephen Tobolesky unless Stephen Tobolesky was gay. Boy, they could have. They really, they really could have been ahead of the curve there. If it turns out, you know, yeah. like uh, uh, Whistler is is reading the Braille report of the computer dating. They're arguing, sending Mary, but he's like, uh, guys, he's gay. Uh. Send in mother. Uh, also, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky playing a slightly different character than I'm used to him. Like, he was more on the ball and authoritative, like less nebbish than he usually is, I guess. That's true. Like, when he discovers something is up, he immediately yeah. just takes action, right? Yeah, yeah, like, he's a man of action. I, I was kind of surprised by that because I thought he was going to be steamrolled a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, kind of a clueless, and, you know, he arrives at this dim sum place, and he's, what is he, like, picking his nose and cleaning his glasses, but... yeah. And and I think, but he's like not phased by how like attractive Mary McDonald McDonald mm-hmm. is. He's kind of like, oh okay, yeah, and yeah, because it's uh, a computer match. And I love how when they talk about the computer match, they're like, a computer matched him with her. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Like a computer is so good at fucking matching people in 1992 right. that yeah, it wouldn't is, possibly put them together. Yeah, like a computer would not would not err or R- fail. Ridiculous. Uh, so that's the cast. You got James Earl Jones comes in as uh, mm-hmm. NSA. Uh, head spook yeah, Bernard Abbott, but one scene. I, and the thing is, is I a, I recalled that over. he he played like the Admiral Greer character in a lot of different Tom Clancy films. Um, in fact, I think he was the the at the like the head spy for like three different versions of uh, 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 Jack Ryan in yeah. the Tom Clancy films. But I think that, so that he was just kind of like not typecast, but like oh, we need. A guy with a you know that, that comes in and believably plays this role. Oh, I know it's James mm-hmm. Earl Jones. So, um, I really enjoyed how economically they developed the characters in the firm. Like they did a lot of clever things. Like you know you get this heist and you think they've stolen all this money and he just smoothly takes the. He's like he's he's he walks the bag of money that they just stolen from this bank across the lobby into an executive office mm-hmm. and says. You know, well, your rent of cops are this, and you could probably tighten up this, and here's your money, and let's get paid. And then, yeah. you know, the 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 secretary that's cutting in the check kind of patronizes him about, well, oh, it pays it pays the bills, and she's like, not very well. And I think I looked at he's getting paid twenty five hundred dollars for this. Oh, not a lot of money, even in ninety two, for the firm that he's running. Five ways, like yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I guess. It must have seemed pretty crazy, like in the '80s and early '90s, to convince people to pay you big money to like, yeah, because no one knew. Like this is like the dawn, you, you know. Uh, TJ Maxx hadn't happened yet. Sony hadn't happened yet. Like the uh-huh. uh, uh, credit card security hadn't become a multi-billion-dollar kind of enterprise. Um, and uh, you know, the, like the way they're getting excited about a client is there's like uh, there's like, hey, we've got two guys in the office, potential clients, and Redford says shoes. And uh, uh, River Phoenix is like expensive. Like you get the idea; these guys are kind of like money grubbing, ambulance chaser. Yeah, very, very hard scrabble. Um, the way they they work in little jokes, like when Robert Redford's trying to improvise this backstory about being a private eye. You know, when he's uh, got mixed up with this uh, mathematician's mistress. Yeah, 
and you know uh, Whistler's feeding him lines, and he's he's just repeating verbatim, and he's like, "And give him head, whatever he wants." And I thought that was really funny to show, like even in serious situations, they kind of yeah. you know fuck it. It's that that uh, joyful spirit. Yeah, and how like the NSA they give enough of the backstory that like you just effortlessly believe that the NSA can box him into doing this potentially danger dangerous, but yeah. also very. You already have established that these guys are poor. They all have mysterious backgrounds that want to be hidden. So the NSA can waltz in here with like what is it, two hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, one hundred and seventy-five. And I was I was wondering about that when I was watching this movie. I'm like, okay, one hundred and seventy-five split five ways. That's like thirty something thousand dollars each. Yeah. Uh, but for a couple of weeks' work, when they just got paid twenty five hundred for the bank job. But but they're also risking their lives, and they make a point to like say, okay, well, it's, yeah. It might not be like a big risk, but it's a risk of your entire life. Like right. you might be killed doing this. Right. But then they played, but I guess I just wasn't converting this into $92 because they played uh, Stephen Tobolowsky's credit card, uh, Warner's credit card as having $750 limit as being kind of like a big deal. Uh-huh. And I'm like, God damn, I have many times that in credit card limit, right? Yeah, uh, on my credit cards today, but maybe back then, seven hundred and fifty dollars on a credit card was like blow your mind kind of thing. Yeah, I was trying to do a real quick uh, calculation um, what it would be, and I it was it was stymieing me. Oh, I guess this is about four hundred thousand dollars, but still, yeah, not a lot of money. It's only like eighty grand. Not retired to the Cayman Islands money, but mm. you know, it's 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 a, a lot to these guys, I guess. Um, yeah, a couple years of salary probably. Yeah, um, I like that this is one of the first movies, you know, because the, the, the Russia fell in the late 80s. This is one of the very first movies that kind of plays that will become a staple of like James Bond and Mission Impossibles and stuff like that, where like, oh, the Russians are our friends now. But there's also, you know, you, you don't just go from being bitter enemies for generations right. to like best friends. Can you trust this guy? Oh, this guy's the head of the KGB and now he's a cultural attache. Right. And it sets up some effective tension where Robert Robert Redford's at you know in the middle of this movie. Of course, it's also three layers deep into uh, a plot. Mm-hmm. But he's like, there's this moment of tension where he's in this Russian ambassador's car and like, wow, do I surrender myself to these FBI goons mm-hmm. or do I take my chances with the Russians? What does that mean? What what I and, and I think that it especially worked in the time and it was kind of neat like like seeing these things being played with and now it's like what are I mean Russians are Russians are back to being the bad guys now I guess that's a, yeah, it's been a rough thirty so. years for our our, our new relationship <laughs> um, the hacking the mm-hmm. hacking is I mean they, they did a, clearly a lot of meticulous research for war games and. It would have been like if they had done this movie. Well, I don't know. This movie's not really that dated, even by modern standards. Maybe like uh, the terminal technology is is bad. Uh, you know, you don't literally like a encryption yeah. doesn't work by seeing a screen full of line noise that slowly dissolves into readable text. Right. But you know, the social engineering where they get. Uh, you know, uh, River Phoenix, you know, hey, buddy, I got to deliver this case of uh, bullshit and uh, I could mean my job. And Robert Redford's uh-huh. like picking up a cake and yeah, they're causing that chaos that will. Yeah, the humans get frustrated by. And yeah, the, the guards like, oh, this guy came down and asked me about the cake. So he must be here. And now he's got the cake. And he's did. he? What? There, there's a lot of that. And then, like, I yeah. think they did a good job where they like River Phoenix comes in as a gardener. Say, hey, can I use the John? And then mm-hmm. the guy doesn't come out. And then the guard's smart enough to see that and start making phone calls. But then there's Dan Aykroyd wearing the elaborate getup. Yeah. It, it's just like there's a couple scenes like that in the final season of Mr. Robot. It's like they really made the opposition seem smart, which made the hack seem more impressive. Right. You know, that they're actually anticipating all this stuff. Um, the fact that, you know, they anticipated being traced. And they're like routing the signal through all these proxies, bouncing it off satellites. Like I thought that was really cool and ahead of the, uh, the time. Just a really good, like you said, the, the really good surveillance. Yeah, that scene where they deduce who works in the office next door to uh, Cosmo's box. Yep, is really really good. Yeah. Um. Aside from you know turning Whistler into a superhero who hears ultrasonic sounds. Sure. Uh. Like looking at okay, let's time 
you know, when these lights go off in the office yeah. and who comes out the door in the next X minutes. And then doing and over do several over, days, do you right, see the pattern? Iterate through until you narrow it down to the point where you've got one guy who must work in that office. Yeah, yeah. Super smart. Really, really smart. Um, and the fact that, you know, they, they had to have uh, uh, Mary McDonald swipe Stephen Tobolesky's keypad, but they also needed his voice ID. So she's... Yeah. The part of the ridiculousness of the date is her trying to get him to say all these words. Right. Uh, and then she, the one that she needs is passport. Mm-hmm. And that I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love your voice. Yeah. And really? Then, I thought it was nasally and pinched. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then the, the sensor yeah. senses body heat and motion. So like Robert Redford, they, they, they pump the office to like 98.6 degrees. And then he has to just manually move at two inches per second. Yeah. Which is a little hokey to watch but it also um generates some some real drama you know absolutely yeah the way that they use like the tension of him just not being able to move quickly is one thing but when he's discovered and they tell him you gotta hurry yeah and he's like that's the one thing i can't do yeah the tension just goes through the roof yeah it's, it's amazing and i thought the like the fact that like um he, she's on this date with steven tobaleski and they introduce him that he's a cybernetic guy and he's working on these cyber pets because that's uh-huh. the cover story it's it's a toy company yep and these are voice activated pets and uh how he gives her directions to their bathroom where she's trying to call to get out of there and that makes the rabbit you know the rabbit follows his voice directions knocks her purse off and he she sees I, I, yeah. there's a lot of stuff was really really clever i thought mm-hmm. um i thought the the bing kingsley stuff was really smart um you know this is pre goldeneye uh but this is exactly the same setup as goldeneye like he is janice the 006 uh sean bean yeah, the, you the know dead for, agent for king yeah. or country uh uh-huh. for king and country marty uh this this goldeneye relationship they had was good but maybe not good enough as we'll talk about and just yeah lots of good twists like i said that that part where he's caught between the russians and the what he thinks is nsa and then them framing him for the death of the murder or of the russian um yeah by doing essentially a hack you know putting his name his real name into the database as an alias yeah um or or his no his alias into the database under his real name right uh, that stuff's good. They, they, they do a lot of really smart just filmmaking stuff. And you, you said how well this movie is constructed, and how dense it is. But in those dense moments, they're not just info dumping at you, right? Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot of really like thematically interesting things. Like the one of the big ones that I noticed is when we're introduced to um, Mary McDonald's Liz. The the first time we see her, she's sitting at a piano. And Robert Redford looks at her and she there's this beautiful piano music playing, you know, mm. this intricate, detailed thing. He notices oh, her body isn't really moving. And it's, it's kind of strange that she could be playing this without her body moving. And then he walks closer and there's this little girl playing this music behind the sheet, you know? Right, right. That he can't see. And it's like this idea of things not being quite what they seem. Or yeah. like the the idea that you're you're you need to take a closer look at things before you judge them, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's really thematically uh, interesting to me. There, there are other moments where, like, I think two characters in the movie use the same line, uh, where they basically say, "You'll have to trust me." Mm-hmm. And one of them is Ben Kingsley at the end, where he's talking to Mahdi. Uh and, and then the other one is this this Russian Greg guy who, you know, later in the car offers yeah, him yeah, asylum. Yeah. But in in the one scene where they're like in the pool area or mm-hmm. something. Um, He's come and got him from a concert. Yeah. Uh, he says, he's, he says like Marty and he steps into a shadow. Like mm-hmm. normally you see people stepping out of shadows right. and things, but he steps into a shadow and says, yeah. you'll have to trust me. Yeah. And it's just like this moment of fuck. That's so confusing. And it's so right. perfect. Yeah. The, the filmmaking really ties into the whole feeling and story here. And it's, yeah. And there's really a lot good. of other interesting, like skewed perspective scenes. Like there's a shot of Ben Kingsley ordering his henchmen around and it shoots from the like, extra, like looking down on him. And he's, it, that's just this triangular desk uh-huh. and it's very angular and, uh, and, and dark and shadowy. There's a lot of things they're, they're, they're doing with that. To, as you said, fit the theme. And uh, you mentioned that um, one other thing, the bank scene uh-huh. uh, at the beginning where he's doing the penetration test. Yeah. You you know you said how the how smoothly it goes from like them getting the money to them 
uh, sort of revealing what the whole thing is. And one of the shots that they used that really confused me, I was like, what are they doing? Where is he going? Is when he walks up the stairs, he takes that money, the briefcase full of money, and he walks up the stairs. And I'm thinking like, That's not how is you this get bank it. underground? Right. Is this a basement yeah. bank? What yeah. is this? Is that more secure maybe? I don't uh -huh. know. Uh -huh. And then he walks in the office and I'm like, oh, I see. So it's just like this moment of confusion that's created just by the cinematography and the way the shot's staged. Yeah. Really good stuff. We talked about uh, just kind of how this movie is prescient. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple speeches that Ben Kingsley gives about, you know, the world doesn't run on reality. It runs on perception. And information. And information. Yeah. And how you can use that to take down banks, stock exchanges, small countries. Yeah. And you know, that people to control secrets and information are going to be the ones. And I keep thinking about like, you know, what we found out was the Snowden leaks and what the NSA mm -hmm. has been capable of and what they're doing and still doing like, like that came and went and no one like, I always felt like those, those types of, per, those things are always portrayed in the movie. Like, you know, a man bought, uh, starts shouting on the streets, like the NSA is reading our emails and then like things happen. Congressional hearings are, and, <laughs> right. and people are frog marched out of offices mm -hmm. and, None of that happened. No. And yet we see like the real attacks that countries are, are, are putting on each other. Like if you got a big country going against a small country, the big company just curb stomps the small country from the air. Yeah. But like when the big countries go against each other, they're destabilizing their currencies they're destabilizing mm -hmm. their power grids or destabilizing their elections, their faith in their institutions. They paralyze them with self doubt, uh, manipulate information. Like, this stuff was kind of played as like an out there kind of like hippie hacker fantasy. And it's mm -hmm. a reality that we're living in. Absolutely. Uh, and it's on every level, you know, it's at the, the big two big countries going at each other. It's on the companies going at the public. Like you look at Amazon and Facebook and how information drives those businesses. I mean, down to places like target. Yeah. That's a big company, but not nearly that scale. Yeah. Like they analyze everything you buy. Every yeah. single thing you do is analyzed by somebody somewhere and they're using that to make money off of you or control you in some way. And it's yeah. just a reality that we live with now. Well, and also the, like it's not even nation state so much as like, you know, Vladimir Putin is the leader of Russia, but he's also one of the most wealthy men in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's going to like like his power emanates from that more than it does any political process. And you're seeing like in yeah. the United States right now, uh, 2020, like, uh, Mike Bloomberg winning by literally buying his way into our democratic process. Yeah. Um, you know, these, these, these shadowy oligarchs that you're always hearing about, it's like, these aren't even countries anymore. These are just like, mm -hmm. like we've kind of returned to this techno feudalism, where these lords are just mm. playing these power games each, against each other as, as Game of Thrones, and we're the small folk. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're a tool to be used in their game, sure. It's fascinating to see the proto versions of this play out in the film and how mm -hmm. it feels. Like I said, watching it in 2020 is a goddamn trip. Um, I also the scene this because you know, we just watched Armageddon where like everyone has their <laughs> yep. big ass. I like have a, the Armageddon scene in my notes too. <laughs> we don't want it to pay taxes. But I want this wanna... is the original Armageddon scene. As far Armageddon as I can tell, three years later, this this is uh, this is the yeah the OG. Like they all have like Dan Aykroyd wants his Winnebago and Sidney Poitier wants to see the world with his wife. And I wondered because like the big question I had is like this is 1992 and you know. To, things weren't as woke as they were uh, now to the extent that they're even woke th th nowadays. But like River Phoenix, his, he wanted, he wanted a girl. Yeah. And there's a pretty NSA agent. And I'm wondering like, how are they going to like James Earl Jones surely isn't just going to like auction this girl's number yeah. off. You give him your phone number, <laughs> but it's like he's River Phoenix. So he's good looking. Uh and the agent herself steps forward and says, you're the one that kind of like she's impressed with what he's done. So she volunteered, like they found a way to kind of square that circle where uh, she's fine with it. Like the, the James yeah. Jones, like, absolutely not. This is ridiculous. I'm insulted. You even ask. And she's like, ah, you know, yeah, he's I mean, cute. She, he's smart. He can ask for anything here. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what he's asking for. And that's impressive too. It should yeah. either, t- yeah, it should either tell her that he really, really wants her phone number, or he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a pretty smooth way to handle it, as far as those things go. And then yeah. uh, Whistler asking for peace on earth and goodwill towards men, and James Earl Jones, we're we're the U.S. government. We don't do that sort of thing. Right. F- hilarious. Amazing. Uh, and now I like to pivot to the stuff that maybe didn't work so well. It's not okay. nearly as big of a list, but. The primary problem I have is that Robert Redford gets out of a lot of situations where logically his face should have been blown open by a gun. Yeah, that James Earl Jones scenario is the perfect example. That's yeah. the late, yeah, like that. I'm thinking of the situation where the Russians were in the car mm-hmm. uh, when Ben Kingsley's got him dead to rights, like the first time, the second time, and the third time on the roof. <laughs> right. Um, you have to simultaneously believe that this Cosmo character. Uh, can't quite bring himself to kill his very old friend. Yeah, that, and they, they to do the, the, the film's credit, they they don't make it seem like he th- feels like he was sold out. You right. know, because mm-hmm. like what are you, what are you supposed to do? Your friend gets nipped, uh, gets gets uh, nabbed by the cops. Are you supposed to turn yourself in in some kind of like solidarity? Yeah, it'd be um, futile. And then, then uh, Robert Redford thought the man was dead. Now, mm-hmm. So, like, there's no, like, why didn't you ever come for me? You're a hacker. Why didn't you try to get word? But you got to believe that he can't quite kill his friend, but also he can credibly threaten his life. Mm-hmm. And he has to do it, like, three or four times in a film. Yeah. And a couple of times into this, especially once Robert Redford slant, because I think the first time it's like, hey, this was our dream, man. We can do it together. And as soon as he slams the door shut on that, like to me, Cosmo should be looking to kill him because he clearly has no problems mm-hmm. killing people and they yeah. just didn't do enough with the relationship. I, I think I agree there. I don't think that one scene in the beginning was quite enough to tell me that these are really, really good friends. Yeah. Because um, yeah. a lot of hackers, like especially when you compare the sort of nebulous relationships that they, that the security consulting firm has right like they're all willing to sell him out yeah but they go along for the money yeah and they they make a point to say that and so like hackers kind of roll that way in some cases you know there will be relationships where hackers are really close to others but Mm -hmm. then there will also be ones where it's just essentially an opportunity you know right uh and they're taking advantage of that and who cares what happens to this other person so yeah, they they didn't do quite enough to sell that to me, but I was willing to give them the leeway. I'm trying to think of like what they could have done better. Like I don't know if um, maybe like they implied that Robert Redford's group had had this like maybe anonymous hacker that's been their benefactor, and it turns out that that's been caused the whole time, like helping them out, and then they could have a little bit more of a joyful reunion until you turn out the Cosmos turned full black hat and like like you know apocalyptically <laughs> evil but I, yeah. I like i said i don't know how you do it better to say it's, it's it's a tight jam-packed script and they just didn't quite do it for me seems like that's the thing that really pissed off ebert too like you know there's a lot of times okay. where robert redford gets a monologue when he should have got the bullet yeah. uh kind of related i don't buy redford duping the nsa like In does what way well so like the end of the movie i was getting outraged uh. because i'm like so this movie's so like kiss ass to the U.S. government that they that Robert Redford can surrender this technology to them and, and we'll totally just be benevolent. fine because we can trust the government. Right. Like, come on, this is post Watergate. What the fuck? And then he says, well, you know, the box doesn't work. Right. And I'm like, what? We've seen this box work very, very well. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you're just thinking like, well, they'll figure that out in a second. They'll try it, and it'll work, and your lie will be uncovered. And and as soon as James Earl Jones walks out the building, he, like, waggles the chip that does all the hard work. Right. And I'm like, so the NSA doesn't have computer engineers that can look at this technology and be like, well, the central thing that everything's hooked up to has been unplugged. Like, there's a big socket that has this processor, and the processor's gone, yeah. or there's all these connectors that have been cut. Like... <laughs> Come on. And then go back to Marty and question him, right? Like, like, like you're supposed to believe the NSA is like uh, the, the, the government goons and Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're just going to take this answering machine, put it in a crate, yeah. never to be used, and then that's it. That's that's the end of it. Yeah, it's a little silly. I, I think him pulling that chip out makes a lot of other things that I was prepared to hate 
Oh, okay. yeah. I was ready to eviscerate Robert Redford's character for selling us all out 30 Absolutely. years before we actually got sold out. <laughs> Absolutely. But he does take the chip. And I, I think you're right. Like, there will be further questioning, right? Like, yeah. he'll have to go back underground or something and hide from the NSA uh, because they will be back for the extra part that they yeah. know, they have to know is there. Yeah, it's like if you sold Roger Pinsky a car... It's like super fast car, and then they get its garage, it's missing its engine. Yeah, I know it never worked, right? Yeah, you know the car never worked, right? Like, and you got the engine. There's this. Hey, come on, come on. Uh, <laughs> now I talk. We talked. We, we this movie deservedly so gets a lot of praise for a lot of the hacking and the sneaking that they got correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about some of the things that not so good. First of all, man, fuck anagrams. I, I this this was. <laughs> this was pretty early in the anagram game. Like, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of an. Maybe it's it gets a little bit of a, a pass on that. But like, C Tech Astronomy equals uh, Cootie's Rat Semen. Oh, yeah. Equals that, too that many secrets. Moment. Like, it's a fun scene to see that it gives them something mm-hmm. to do while Whistler's doing the actual important work. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, it's just a scene of Dan Aykroyd being like, "Is this it, Whistler? Nope. Is this it, Whistler? Nope." <laughs> So they're doing the Scrabble thing. Yeah, that's, that's... I, I mean, I like it. It's a coming together of sort of like, what does this box do with also who might be behind this, right? Yeah. Like, and I I thought it was an effective scene. Yeah. You, you just really hate anagrams. I hate apparently. anagrams. I really do. But I like what they did in the credits. Because like, okay, once you've got a movie that has anagrams in it, what are you going to do with the credits? I thought it was really cool to have the essentially the credits be anagrams, mm-hmm. the ciphers for each of these people yeah we found out that your jim jones has no known english anagrams not any good ones certainly i don't i don't think there's any like if you have to use like all the characters words. Yeah, yeah like there's no like uh the anagram internet generator returned no results i've never seen that happen before hmm. um so that was kind of dumb i really like the tracing scene but this idea of a voice stress analyzer that's like hey, it's not as reliable as polygraph but like first of all Polygraphs aren't reliable. <laughs> Second of all, you got this voice stress analyzer that's 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 bouncing through a satellite and through ocean tunnels, and it's going to be able to tell whether James Earl Jones is lying just with a simple yes or no answer. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. I will say landline landline phones sounded a hell of a lot better than cell phones do today. A hell of a lot. Is better. that true? Now, if you're bouncing them fifty times off of satellites and shit, probably not. Uh, I'm trying to think more... of like did did they actually sound better back then oh, than they yeah. do now? Oh yeah, like I listen to um, uh, well the podcast version now of the the hacking show 2600 does mm-hmm. um, they actually have a couple of them, but uh, they have recordings going back of the radio show 40 years in the past, mm-hmm. and so like I went through not too many years ago and listened to some of those, and I remember the phone calls. The, that you got on that show mm. sounding so much better in the early 80s or late 80s early 90s than it does now with cell phones huh. it just sounds like garbage they're compressed they're yeah the, the, the in, encryption and shit just gets in the way of the audio yeah the sampling a, rate's so low like sprint used to advertise that on their long distance network you could hear a pin drop right so i don't know if you could hear a pin drop on cell phones that is i don't know and then the the dumbest dumbest fucking scene in the whole movie is Robert Redford pretty spry I like the scene where he tries to leap over a, uh, a, a, a like what was that like a it's the the desk at the bank the teller yeah reception de- desk yeah. and he trips and falls and he's like ah oh, too old for this shit takes a f- header this man has to get like three concussions this movie oh yeah so two gets, in the same night he gets he gets yeah he gets concussed twice in a row mm-hmm. um, but he's still with it enough in it's stuffed in a trunk without anyone prepping like hey listen and remember all this like right like they're like oh they've got a complete dead end they have no idea how to trace uh cosmo back to his lair mm-hmm. and then whistler says oh well, well what did it sound like and he goes over to a keyboard and starts playing some road noise and starts mm-hmm. like does it sound like this does it sound like oh you must have gone over a bridge what are the different bridges that uh was foggy that night and then the robert redford's just reconstructing this time he spent in the trunk I think you said it best when we were talking about this before the podcast. You're like, if the, if Whistler is in the trunk, yeah, I'm buying this for sure. But sonically reconstructing their trip and being able to identify the corporate location by his hazy concussed, not superhumanly paying attention <laughs> to sounds 
Rob yeah. Redford, fifty-six-year-old ears. I don't. That that that's just dumb. I'm not buying it either. It's but dumb. But what are you gonna do? Yeah. Um. It's it's a cool idea that I just don't think works in this particular scenario. And here's a part that's not it's not dumb, but this is not as cool as I thought it was going to be. Like the the gag where they get the blind guy driving the truck. I thought that God, he was going to run over the dudes, and that's how Sidney Poitier and uh, who was who was it? Uh, Dan Aykroyd was going to escape. Um, but what they do is the blind guy is driving backwards as hell, but it was pell mell to I guess rescue um, you know uh, uh, Robert Redford and uh, River yeah. Phoenix and and Mary, mm-hmm. and then Sidney Poitier is left to escape from these guys holding them at shotgun point and the way he does it is like because they built this up all movie long mm-hmm. why'd you get why why'd you get kicked out of cia why'd you get kicked out of cia and, and he tells the mothers like i've ever told you why i got kicked out of the cia because of my anger issues and he just raws the guy with the shotgun and disarms him <laughs> okay i forgot about that moment yeah like the payoff of what i thought like i thought he was going to like do some james bond shit uh-huh. but he's just really mad and that's that, that lets you get the jump, and then it wasn't even co- like if it was coordinated with like the moment the blind guy, it, I, it just like there all the elements were right there to have something pay off, mm-hmm. and they just quite do it again. It's not terrible; it's just kind of like landed like a like a, a wet wet paper towel. While we're talking about Sydney Poitier, uh-huh. uh, you mentioned how woke this movie was for 1992. Uh-huh. I was shocked to see within the first. 15 minutes of this movie there's a definite blackface moment in there but they call it out like it, it's a weird it's clearly a joke it's not a black it's so, so like river phoenix is uh in a abundance of caution because he's the only person doing this on the team yes he's got like all black fatigues on and he's mm. roughing his face he's he's putting black camo on his face like you know G- vietnam jungle yeah just slathering it all style. over yeah. like arnold uh trying to keep himself from getting caught by the predator right right uh he's got it all over his face and Sidney poitier walks up and he gives him like a look like mm-hmm. the fuck are you doing yeah yeah <laughs> and it's not like a oh that's a weird thing that you're doing kind of look it's more like a are you really doing blackface is this, right is this now bot border like and i, I think it could work both. Like he's a CIA guy. And he's like, I can't believe you're putting on camo for this stupid thing. It's, but also it's Sydney fucking Poitier. I mean, right. this guy is, they call me Mr. Tibbs. This is uh-huh. look who's coming to dinner. Like it's gotta have a little bit of that in it too. For sure. Yeah. You can see it on his face. He's yeah. Sort of disgusted just, by just, what he's doing there. Yeah. Trying to decide how much offense he wants to take. Yeah. Uh, I also like that. They call the, the thing a uh, black box. Because it's very hackery, right? It's like, oh, there are beige boxes and red boxes and blue right. boxes. There's right. all colors of the rainbow boxes, but the black box is like. And it's funny because, like, by not down, specifying know, the technology, it's evergreen. Because, like, you could say that's uh, quantum. Because they right, got the right. right idea. They knew that encryption based was based on large, you know, uh, not what are they, non prime numbers or prime numbers? Yeah, like essentially unsolvable mathematical equations. Or ones that are like very, very computationally intensive to compute yeah um and that if you could find a way around that a lot of people suggest quantum computing as a way to like make if if quantum computing would take off the way they've been talking about my entire lifetime it's like you know this 256 bit encryption can be broken in minutes rather than hundreds of thousands of years uh but by not explicitly saying that they got all the terms right like well this is how the encryption works and if it was going to be broken it would have to be through some kind of mathematical breakthrough you know they could have called it something that would read ridiculous but now you can just assume oh that's like you know quantum computing or something else it, it keeps it to where it's like well they got the right idea for the problem space they don't know what the solution is so let's just call it a black box let's just call it a chip let's call it a universal uh decryptor because that's yeah. what it is and that's how that's how it works speaking of all of that you know uh terminology and explanation of how the box works uh or how encryption works what did you make of janik giving this speech because i i don't see a real scenario in which he gives the speech about the box that is also not about the box because he can't like all he does when he gets up on stage is says what if yeah like that's his his Uh magic thing is like he's essentially saying encryption is hard to break Mm -hmm. 
and he's not saying anything about how you might actually approach breaking it because he's done the thing he's created the box but he's not there to tell you that he created the box and here's how you do it which a lot of hackers would do yeah and he's also not not having the conference which a lot of like ruthless sort of uh opportunity mongers would do right right he's out there like telling you nothing while trying to say something yeah it's weird it's almost like uh you, you, like the conference we walk in on david uh uh, uh not david spade uh <laughs> james spader right in stargate is that his name okay yeah 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 uh, you know, he's given this speech about where like, you know, aliens and, and pyramids and, but he clearly doesn't have the answers. He's missing a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of, but a dot, 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 question mark, question mark, profit. Right. Imagine if he did that after the events of Stargate. <laughs> right. Okay. Like this guy's doing that version of like, whoa, who knows? But we, it's also weird because he's also developing this technology for these quasi shadowy national governments, but mm-hmm. he's loudly advertising that he's kind of got a breakthrough. Yeah. Or that there's a breakthrough possible. Yeah. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense why he would hold that conference or right. give that speech, I guess. But then again, I think you're also understanding that is he developing this just because he's developing it for fun? But someone's funding his research, and they they yeah. make it seem like it's the Russians. It's actually the NSA. But Cosmo wants to steal it. They're, 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 I, and I have questions about who he works for, if anyone, or does I think he just he, work yeah, for himself? I, I think he works for himself. Like he's he's in it for the chaos. He's in it for uh, democratizing data. I guess I mean, information very, wants to be free, man. He's very organized crime though, too, because like. He he makes that you know illusion. Oh, uh, maybe I work for organized crime, and Bishop's not buying it. But then later on, he says, you know, I can't kill my very good friend. Mm-hmm. Kill my friend. Yeah, and that, to his goons. Like that's a very organized. That like cliche, that's a very mob yeah. boss thing to do, right? Like yeah. So maybe he has connections to organized crime, or maybe I, he doesn't. Where does he I get all he his money? I think he probably does. Like he doesn't care. He's very where, well because money doesn't matter to him. Like the money matters to as a means to an end to get this. But like he's already he's post money. He's like in the information economy, baby. Is he post money because he's wielded the information so well that he's stolen? He's or already has said he like stolen he, money because like when Robert Redford's like you could take down banks and he's like yes, he's like you could take down stock exchanges. Okay. Yes, you could take down. So small, he's getting like, the, he's think, getting a lot of those twenty five hundred dollar checks for. I, I his think he's like testing. he's stolen money from you know warlords in Africa okay. and he's stolen money from stock exchange. He's stolen money from banks. Like he's got essentially, if he needs money, he goes and gets it. And yeah. uh, which, you know, Robert Redford could do that too. Like we saw him walk out with like a million. That, that's the funny thing is like also he walks out with like a million dollars, but he takes home twenty five hundred for right. So you know. Crime pays, I guess. And when the... they have when they have that conversation uh-huh. about like banks, mm-hmm, countries, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're sitting. They they use a couple of really cool things there. They're sitting on a cray supercomputer. Yes, as a lounge. Right. It's super awesome because like if you're not a hacker, you just think, oh, look at this weird decor he's got. Yeah, it's like this in art this glass deco, room and what the hell. Future, yeah. Right. But if you uh, if you do know computer hardware, mm-hmm. you're realizing I'm probably looking at a supercomputer here. I went and I looked up the actual model it's a cray y-mp um because i i wanted to know because mm-hmm. i'm curious i'm mm-hmm. a weirdo uh but i thought that was cool and then when they're using the the telephone to hook up to their computer systems to the telephone lines mm-hmm. um they're using a device that was a de- designed for atari 400 and 800 computers called mm-hmm. like an atari 830 modem mm-hmm. uh, which i was super curious about because i didn't realize atari ever made because it looks a lot like an Atari console, like a video game console. Yeah. I didn't realize they had made like phone interfaces for mm. their computers that were like yeah. that. Yeah. I remember my the first time I had seen someone get on a BBS, it was at one of my friend's house and his dad was like essentially fucking Radio Shack. Like this is in the early 80s. <laughs> he was flying remote controlled helicopters. He's a ham radio guy. Nice. And the new thing he was into is BBS. And he actually had this thing that you, you physically strapped to the phone. You took the phone off yeah. the hook, you strapped it onto the speaker thing. <laughs> and it was like a... Like 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 a pair of headphones that you strap to the uh-huh. microphone and receiver of this, this thing. Yeah, it's called an acoustic coupler, and it yeah, it essentially like translates the dial tones and the yeah. numbers and stuff into the computer through. Yeah, and it was operated at like 180 baud, which oh, if you know anything, holy <laughs> fuck, 
like like wait wait, wait for 30 seconds to wait for like a, a, a like a page of a novel to load you yeah know? you can type faster than that much faster yeah. much faster um yeah that's that's my old analog <laughs> shit is super cool which is why it works so, so well in like matrix mm-hmm. uh do you got anything else you want to say about uh this year's sneakers i don't think so that really desperately wants to be called hackers it really does. It's a it's a fun movie. It's a nice little slice of the '90s. It holds up because the the world has conformed into its shape in the last thirty years. Yep. Uh, I think it's worth your while to check it out. Uh, next week we're going to be back with the Invisible Man. Is yeah, it's a first run. Movie uh, it's a first out. run bald movie, so that means we're going to have a, a non spoiler discussion of it. Uh, for everybody and some discussion of upcoming trailers and movies and then we'll have a spoiler uh, filled version of the movie review for our club members it stars elizabeth moss looks like it's going to be a really interesting uh, uh psychological thriller it's another chance to see elizabeth moss lose her shit in various ways on film but she's made a cottage industry of doing the last last few years so i'm mm-hmm. excited for that we'll be back for that next week hope you enjoyed this one until next time i'm aaron i'm jim see ya <laughs>